since the hurricanes in 2017, property insurance costs have soared by a rate of 15% a year or more. And they would have increased even more, Nicole, if they hadn't been restrained by Florida's Office of Insurance Regulation that has to approve the rates. But as a result, many companies are no longer accepting renewals. Many have left the market entirely. Citizens Property Insurance, which is our state-run insurer of last resort, has had to take up the slack. It's soon going to have over a million policies. And despite some reforms over the last few years, we continue to be plagued with excessive litigation, pushing rates up even faster. And there's a real economic peril here. Most mortgages require property owners to have full insurance coverage, and that puts our real estate markets at risk. And rising costs are a significant burden on homeowners and on renters. Turning to the condominium protections, I I remember you telling me that there are more than 2 million Floridians who are right now living in condominiums that are over 30 years old, and many of them just haven't been inspected, and they have inadequate reserves to cover any needed maintenance that may arise. Remind me of the economic obstacles that have resulted in this public safety issue. There's a push and pull there? Yeah, there sure is. You know, there's just an inherent conflict of interest between what's needed to safely maintain these buildings over time, which is expensive, and the desires of condominium residents and therefore their elected condominium board members to keep the assessments as low as possible. So this situation calls out for prompt and robust attention. But the legislature failed to agree on rules to require full and accelerated inspections and the reforms that we need to ensure that the reserves are in place for the repairs, Nicole. Can anything be done about these matters right now? Yeah, sure. I mean, even the legislative leadership has acknowledged that these problems exist and they didn't deal with them, and they're considering a special session to address them. Look at the budget itself. What stood out to you from an economic perspective? Well, the biggest thing is the legislature appropriately took advantage of the surge in financial resources, and they adopted a budget that's more than 10% higher than last year. And considering Florida's population growth and inflation, this budget is the first one in a long time that actually increased real spending per person and moves the budget forward in terms of meeting Florida's needs. You know, and a reflection of that is that the budget includes a billion dollars for pay raises long due for our state workers and needed to retain labor. And third, there is a big increase in school funding, one of the largest ever. And even the Florida Education Association, which represents teachers, called it a real step forward. And the legislature stopped taking money out of the Affordable Housing Trust Fund, put money into rural broadband and um, $100 million for Lake Okeechobee. Okay, that all sounds like they're taking necessary steps. Well, Nicole, instead of funding pressing needs in health care, the budget needlessly holds $9 billion of reserves and another billion dollars in an inflation fund. You know, Florida leaders once again turned down billions of dollars of federal subsidies that the state could have used to expand Medicaid to hundreds of thousands of working poor Floridians. And then they cut $300 million out of the fund for hospitals that serves the poorest and sickest Medicaid patients. You know, while not raiding the Affordable Housing Trust Fund for the first time in 10 years, you know, the funding still remains terribly inadequate. The consequences are painful, especially here in Central Florida. 